Hello again, team. Thank you so much for joining me again. Hello to Thailand. Hello to Switzerland. Hello to New Zealand. And hello to quite a few people in South Africa. Hello, world. Thank you for joining me again. I've said that twice. Oh, I don't need to say it again. <laughs> but genuinely, I'm so glad that people are still tuning in. Continue to do so. Continue to subscribe and spread the word and review, etc., etc. Now, First of all, apologies for no podcast last week. Um, life, as I have explained to listeners who've been with me before in podcasts past, when when occasionally one is missed, it's because I've been uh, very busy and life's taken over. Um, I left you in the capable hands of Miss Nadia Ginsberg because that was the last podcast which people have loved. And lots of people are still catching up. And I know a lot of people with children or without children uh, spend a lot of time away in August and I think that's worldwide I'm not just talking about the UK I think a lot of people um, in July and August and early September disappear um, to uh, to distant climes shall we say so uh, I think people are back in the sway of things and people are joining me again so I know people are catching up so I've kind of left it like that that's my excuse anyway so thank you so much for joining now this week is uh, it's episode 27 by the way let's never forget to give you the reminder where we are um, and if you are I know people are kind of joining in later down the line a few people have come in um, from uh, Tempest de Jour onwards and I'd say keep going and then perhaps down the line go back and listen um, I will be talking about other episodes that are worth um, well not a second listen um, but for people who are new, it's a first time um, to go back and, and, and uh, some of my favourites and some that the other rest of the audience, I think, have enjoyed. So uh, audience, listeners, people. Anywho. So, yes, this week is solo. Now, I've been getting um, a lot of feedback and uh, and chatting to some of you. And the more time goes on and the more podcasts there are in the world, the kind of the more variations on what the podcasts are and what what's occurring in each one so you know I mean some very varying interviews yeah I'm not really keen to call them interviews but chats shall we say um and then kind of the the solo chats we have as we are now or I have with you now <laughs> on that please keep your thoughts and reviews etc <laughs> coming in as uh, sometimes when I'm chatting here on my own it's it's nice to to down the line hear your side of the conversation and know that I'm not just chatting to the void of space and time so yes the variations of what people enjoy is is quite wide um that's a positive thing in my mind um Nadia Gindberg Tempest Jour, Dandor Dale Page they're all very popular listens at the moment because they're the most recent recent ones as well from what my stats show but also um the episode entitled Gay UK Love Law and Liberty London Pride um has been extremely popular and if you haven't listened that's episode 18 so maybe go back and check that one out along with some of the aforementioned episodes with the guest I've just named as it will tie in this that one with uh, a little with this week's um although this will be a standalone episode too hopefully um as i'm going to talk about well about lgbtq history in london possibly expand it out to a little bit of the uk in general but really kind of concentrate concentrate on on london um as that's where i live and it's home um it's where i realized realize how pretentious Matthew where I realized myself and my sexuality in full and and my love for London gay history now I've lived in all corners of London so I know a bit of the history myself and I've lived it I'm part of that history cue my creaking bones um I ran 5k today I'll tell you about that later <laughs> but I wanted to relate this to my experiences as well and the areas I've been and I've lived in and places that I've frequented, shall we say, and, well, just been a, a gay man in. And it's been a few years of my own personal history, so I'll try and tie it in with 
how those places have affected me and uh, a, bit, a bit like I did with the with the pride episode I suppose really so it's a bit of a potted history and I, I will jump around a bit but maybe I'll have to extend it to a part two on London gay history later down the line. We'll, we'll see how we go today. I'm just going to be aware of the time. Now, this was partly inspired by um, a Facebook group that I can recommend you going to, which, by the way, you don't need to be LGBTQ, etc. identified, as you definitely don't need to be to listen to me, to enjoy this page. Um, it's history. It's a page called Lost Gay London, and uh, on Facebook, and they're also on Twitter at Lost Gay London, and uh, that has a capital G and a capital L in that. Um, and yeah, they have videos, pictures, articles from back when people started, basically started recording London's gay scene on camera. It's so interesting. Um, I can only recommend it, and uh, I know quite a few of my friends are are checking it out now. I'm just opening here. They do have lists of events, and there's one that has taken my interest coming up called on September the 29th, so for London, UK listeners, or if you're visiting from overseas. Um, but you can check it out from overseas anyway, see what they're talking about. But yeah, on their Facebook group, this recommendation is for a Gay Liberation Front Personal History 1970 to 1974, and it's being hosted by the Brixton Umbrella Circle at Brixton Oval, Brixton Library. Um, and uh, this is uh, basically give you a breakdown. It says here, Brixton Umbrella Circle present an evening with Stuart Feather, who will be reading from and taking questions about his recently published book, Blowing the Lid, Gay Liberation, Sexual Revolution and Radical Queens. A personal history of the Gay Liberation Front. Stuart was a co-founder of the GLF Street Theatre, a member of Bethnal Rouge Commune and a bookshop, and a founding member of Bet Bourne's gay theatre troupe, Blue Lips. So anyone with an interest in gay history of the 70s will find this unmissable. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, Brixton Umbrella Circle is a group of older 50-plus gay men uh, located in the Brixton area of London. It offers a forum for mutual support, socialising and discussing individual and collective experiences, past and present, in a social, cultural and political context. So anyway, um, you can check out them. Um, they are also on Facebook uh, as Brixton Umbrella Circle. But as I say, the uh, the website itself, uh, Lost Gay London, is great for any of that kind of thing. So uh, I recommend going there. Um, now, um, I think I probably need to put that down in my own personal diary. I'll do that shortly. Anyhow, um, before we get started on all of that and London gay history, um, let's just talk through news, thoughts and recommendations for this week. So news, um, I've had some feedback that people would like, uh, basically a more direct place to interact with me and I guess possibly other listeners. So what I'm doing is I'm aiming to get a Facebook page set up just for the podcast. Um, you're still still more than welcome to come and chat to me on my own page, on my own personal Facebook page, and my Twitter at Kelly Matt won't change. Um, same with Instagram, but Facebook page uh, we'll get that sorted, and I'm going to see if I can also get a page on my website, which is mattiankelly.com that is a dedicated space for the podcast so watch this space keep listening um, and news on that as soon as it's ready um, because I'd like you all to be able to uh, interact with me easier um, also to let you know I'm now on Stitcher which is an on-demand internet radio service for people that don't know it's uh, it provides radio shows and podcasts um, it's basically an online free streaming service through uh, its website and it pretty much covers all kind of mobile applications everything um, uh, it's easy to leave reviews there as well so I can recommend that so uh, if you are uh, on a uh, listening and uh, maybe through SoundCloud or somewhere that you don't find quite so easy to access or you have problems uh, downloading sometimes um, then that's a, another option for you to go and find and listen to this podcast through so um as i say you can leave reviews there it's really easy to leave reviews there um soundcloud still same thing top right hand corner of my 
um, of this podcast page there's a little envelope click on that and you can leave uh, a review there um and then i have to say thank you for some lovely reviews that have come onto itunes um and people are working it out um it seems to have maybe gotten a bit easier um the only thing is you have to do it through kind of you can do it through pretty much any device but not a phone and pretty much any mac device is really easy um so macbook or whatever you use at home um and do it through through that through those mediums um it's just on a phone it's uh, it's pretty difficult and if you have managed to do it through a phone then do let me know because i don't always know where they've come from but i know that i've been told a couple of people have done it uh definitely just found the easiest way was through just going uh onto their um their pc and doing it or their laptop pc what age do i live in anyway um keep all the reviews coming in please um i'm slightly i'm slightly hyped on coffee i just went to a new place um around the corner called arlo and mo so for all southeast london residents they do a great lunch and the coffee is amazing but it's super strong so i'm a bit uh, a bit jittery and a bit so if i do uh gabble somewhat then i apologize but i digress now i've had a bit of a strange week and in some ways some of my old self-doubts have crept in and i'm just saying this because i know it happens to all of us but you know i keep talking about that people share it and i know people who have chatted to me about the podcast that they enjoy just kind of a bit of honesty so i'm going to talk about my own um i suppose the self-doubts have crept in partly autumn's coming in and it's changing the weather and that all contributes but don't get me wrong i love autumn and i love the colors and um and uh yeah it's it's in some ways it's uh, one of my spring and autumn are, are are my favorites but it is just it just i don't know i suppose in your mind it signifies change and you start thinking about the year that's gone and the year ahead and i try and not think too much about the past and try not to jump too head into the future and we all talk about being present and mindful etc etc um but I've just had um, I had a week's work cancelled, which isn't a huge amount. It's not a huge amount of money. It's not even that, but kind of knocks a bit of doubt into you. And and it's the nature of being self-employed sometimes. But you know, it took its toll slightly. And there's been a bit of a strange occurrence with a with a theatre show job that I pre- previously worked on, and it's uh, I worked on it for a good few years. And I've got lots of good friends from it and I, I don't regret any of it at all, um, is going out into the world again with a brand spanking new cast, which is great and understandable. Um, again, that is the nature of the beast and that's our business. But it, when when it was being birthed for, its, uh, for the next generation, shall we say, it wasn't initially made that clear to the old team that it was happening and it was happening without us. And again, I understand why, but that it might need to have a new fresh face but it just was i don't know it was a bit it was wasn't dealt with in the clearest and i felt a bit grumpy about that um i've talked very fondly about the show in previous podcasts and and i've had a lot of friends and people and acquaintances who've been contacting me to ask about the show and sort of say oh it's back and i've had to explain that it's all new and and that the world moves on but it's just basically what i'm saying is it's not always easy to accept change and that things do move on in the world and i've just had a couple of these instances in the last couple of years especially within within work and it does make you doubt well in my in my world it makes me doubt the industry which everybody does and i think that sometimes that's okay to kind of have to check in with where you are and what you're doing and then I suppose the second thing is that it makes you, it does make you doubt yourself and you blame yourself for being too old or not funny enough or not talented enough. And all these things come into play and it doesn't matter how, and we've talked about mindfulness, it doesn't matter how mindful you are, it's never going to be perfect. As I said before, it's not the answer. So it's just basically, it's been a period of things not being quite as aligned as I'd like them to be. But now the reason I'm saying all this is so that, you know, we all go through this stuff and yet it makes you think, but, and it makes you think long and hard. And 
And I guess maybe you do reevaluate things, but that's okay. I think that's where I'm at. That's okay. And the one thing I feel like I've kind of learned from the last couple of weeks is, and I want to encourage people to talk about their mental well-being and where they are because people don't enough and that was one of my one of the reasons way back when I started this podcast I want people to be able to share and again if any of you ever want to share anything with me or you want to come and talk about things I'd love to talk to I'm trying to find somebody who is a an expert in um, that world to come and talk about how not just how LGBT being a person who identifies in that world affects you but just generally all of us because I know all my listeners are from every walk of life so anyway being honest and talking about it um and I'm just being honest and talking about it now and I've had a state of flux anyway get to the point Matthew (laughs) and it's essentially I've reassessed and there's there's brilliant things happening ahead um two of my best friends are about to get married um keith and i we are busy and now into the throes of um, of our own marriage preparations um i've managed to cap down on uh evening weekday evening wine drinking which is which is a thing and i've been managing to run 5k three times a week and trying to improve my health and um you know, this is all all good stuff. Um, and then, oh yes, and then of course I do have a show now. Here is this show that is coming up. Um, I have a tour, and I've talked about it before. And the show is called Get Therapy. Now, let me just give you uh, the uh, details of the show. And the breakdown here is the synopsis says Danielle's happily surviving on high dosage antidepressants when her doctor says, "Agree to group therapy, or I'm stopping your medication." Filled with trepidation. Danielle joins a group where she meets relationship-troubled ex-addict Luke, feisty yet mother-dominated Amy, and Stephen, which is the character I'm playing, a, ther- a, therapist, a therapy success story yet socially inept. And, of course, the therapist who's not obliged to reveal any personal information. Dramas unfold in an emotional and often amusing way. And it's uh, being founded, by, f- founded, funded by the Arts Council, uh, amongst other people. So that's great. Um, and uh, it says also says verbatim dialogue, dance and original songs and music in dub, soul and electro. I'll say no more than that. So anyway, um, we do have some dates so far. Um, I believe there may be others to be released, but the ones I've got so far, November the 20th, Bread and Roses Theatre in Clapham. November the 21st, the Gulbenkian Theatre in Canterbury, matinee only. November the 22nd, the latest music bar in Brighton. November the 26th, the Stantonbury Theatre, Milton Keynes. November the 27th, Greenwich Theatre. Uh, November the 29th, Colchester Arts Centre. November the 30th, Seven Arts Leeds. And December the 3rd, the Pleasance Theatre, Caledonian Road, London. Um, And I believe uh, that there may be more to be released. But anyway, that's for now. So, uh, so yeah, so looking forward to that. So there are good things ahead. Um, And I think that's all I'm saying is that you just have to, and not that you even need loads of things to look forward to, but sometimes just, it's okay to go through it and doubt it. And then try and come out the other side. And I'm sure I'm going to have another week in the next few weeks where I'm going to uh, be dropping down Daisy again. So we'll see how it goes. But I just wanted to be honest. Now, moving on. Quiff, <laughs> quiffly, quickly, quickly is the word. Moving on quickly um, to recommendations because I want to get on to this whole London Gay History thing and I've uh, I've waffled and digressed but anyway Hugh and Cry Hugh and Cry who uh, in the 80s had a big hit in the UK and I think it might have been a hit it was definitely a hit in the rest of Europe I'm not sure about the US so I probably should have checked but anyway um, go on YouTube they had a song called Labour of Love which was one of my favourite all time favourite songs um and uh, I think I probably want that played at the wedding um, uh, in the evening to dance to. Anyway, Hugh and Cry have come back. They've been around. They've never gone away. But uh, I wasn't quite so aware. 
I've gone back and discovered they've got loads of albums in between then and now. Um, but uh, it was a it was an iTunes recommendation that occasionally I just go and check, and it was a good one. Um, their album's called Pocket Full of Stones, and it's kind of folk with soul, tinge of country, um, and blues, I guess. Um, some well, Keith thought he listened to some of it and said some of it sounded almost like songs from musicals, which is probably another reason I love it. I don't think it personally sounds like that myself. Um, but Pocket Full of Stones is the album. The song Pocket Full of Stones is just one to go and listen to. Go and do that when you finish listening to the podcast. Um, so I can recommend that. Um, it's I think it's listed on iTunes as adult contemporary. So if you're looking for something a bit more funky, and I do suggest funky suggestions, it's it's not necessarily that, but it's just one for for life. And I don't want to suggest housework, but I have lots of music I listen to for that very purpose. And I keep talking about housework. I talked about housework to Nadia and we don't need to go there again. Anyway, also just to say, and I'm sure it's a huge hit by now, is Kelly Clarkson's new song, Love So Soft. Amazing. Amazing. It's just brilliant. And I think she blows a lot of the other, what's the term, pop divas out of the water with this particular song. And the video is incredible as well. There's been lots of money spent on that. And uh, so welcome back, Kelly Clarkson. She began my first play. My first ever play was one of her songs that began that show. So I have a fondness for Miss Clarkson. Anyway, just to finally supporting other podcasts. Um, now, this one doesn't really need my support, as I think it's topping charts everywhere. But it is one, and I like to, definitely like to support other LGBTQ plus uh, podcasts, is one called Homo Sapiens. And it's uh, two gentlemen, filmmaker Chris Sweeney, and the singer and actor from the UK, Will Young, um, who won uh, for Listeners Abroad, won Pop Idol. It was Pop Idol, wasn't it? Yes. Um, and they described their show as a Radio 4 Woman's Hour for an LGBTQ plus audience. And they've had some really good guests. Um, they've had Peter Tatchell. They had the singer John Grant, who was extremely funny and, again, talked very openly about his mental health. And Owen Jones, who is a journalist and writer um, and uh, campaigner, basically, and uh, is uh, not afraid to speak his mind. And I have even more time for him. He's funny. He's wonderful. If you want any suggestions of uh, just to go and jump into their podcast, go and find the Owen Jones one or the John Grant one. But the Owen Jones one, he won me over completely. Um, not that he needed to win me over because I was already a fan, but uh, yeah, just a really nice chap. Talks about his cat. Anyway, that's all my recommendations and let's get on with the subject matter. Now I'm going to start with Earl's Court. Earl's Court, which still has a very fond place in my heart. Um, and I should probably visit there more often. Earl's Court, for people who are from outside of the UK or outside of London. Earl's Court is in West London, not far from Kensington. Um, it is possible to walk from there to the to the very centre of London. It's a fair walk, but uh, I used to do it all the time. Um, and I kind of did a lot of growing up there. I have mentioned it briefly before. Um, I lived in West Kensington, which, well, for how long was I there? For maybe two, three, maybe three years? Um, and I continued to visit Earl's Court after then, but at this point, I was 10 minutes walk to to High Street Kensington for the shops, um, and to uh, lots of, at that point, there were a lot of uh, musicians and um, quite a few uh, Hollywood stars had houses in that area, so you could walk down Kensington High Street and see a lot of names. Um, and of course, it was also uh, um, glamorized and, um, and given in a bit of a new life by um, Absolutely Fabulous. Um, and Patsy and Eddie used to spend time in uh, Kensington High Street as well. Anyway, um, it was also from my house in West Kensington. It was about a 10 minute walk to Earl's Court, to the gay venues of Earl's Court. And when I was there, it was still very much a hub. Soho was, well, Soho was just kind of growing and 
uh, and was becoming more of a central gay location and you had the pub Comptons and uh, another gay bar called The Village but Earl's Court was still in bloom and I'd read and I've talked before about my love of Tales of the City and Armistead Maupin's books and one of his books Baby Cakes um, the character of Mouse is in the UK uh, searching for his friend Mona and he ends up in Earl's Court and uh, goes to the Colhern. So I was even keener to be in that area because of that. And as I say, at the heart of Earl's Court is was uh, this pub called the Colhern. And um, it basically had been a like a drag cabaret inclined venue in like the twenties and thirties, I think. Um, but apparently, it became a, a gay pub in the fifties. Um, and it had an area for gay people and an area for straight people um, because obviously it was still illegal um, to be gay up until the yeah, until the 70s. Anyway, in the 70s, uh, it became a leather bar. And it, it pretty much, I suppose it kind of remained that way for many years. And it did get slightly more corporate and a bit corporate and shiny towards the end of its time as a gay pub it's now actually um, since 2011 I've just discovered um, since 2011 it's been called, changed its name to the Pembroke and it's a gastro pub and I was there maybe a couple of years ago, two three years ago um, and I did have a look and it just it wasn't the same I believe, and I've heard that uh, older gay men in the area still go in there for a drink and meet there and, and reminisce, but it's not anything like it was. And as I was saying earlier, things move on, life changes, but it's a bit sad. But anyway, um, it was a place where Freddie Mercury went a lot, um, which is another reason I was kind of keen to go and discover it as I was... Uh, not necessarily a massive fan of Queen. I, I did have Queen albums, and I, I did I did like a lot of their music. But really, I was a fan of Freddie Mercury, and as a performer, was just incredible. Um, and a, and a character, a real a real rock star, and extremely. People always use the word flamboyant about him. Extremely camp, and so was always drawn. Anyway, he used to go there a lot, so that also encouraged me. Um, and he lived only a short walk away uh, when he was frequenting the pub and actually funnily enough I used to go to his house which is in a street called uh, Logan Place and it's where he died sadly Um, but it looks like a beautiful house and uh, I'd go and stand outside the gates and I wasn't being strange or stalkery this is uh, after he died um, just because there'd always be quite often there'd be fans there and there'd be candles lit and for many years the walls and the door to the to the gate of the garden that went into the house would be covered in um, people's love people would uh, it, their inscriptions and their signatures and their thoughts on Freddie all over the walls all over the gate all over the door of the gate Um and yeah it just was quite a very it was a a weirdly a a very peaceful place now I know it wasn't always such a peaceful place in fact I actually took some students there uh, some of my students once who were a bit older and some of them were into metal actually but loved Queen and so I on one of my cultural tours which I sometimes do with my students I took them Austrian students down to Logan Place and they'd been really boisterous and then they stood really peacefully and got quite emotional and then we left and talked a lot about Freddie and I discussed how Freddie was involved in the area of Court and they, they they were very happy to hear the stories anyway um, it was also a place that his house was uh, was where a lot of quite amazing and glamorous parties would have happened that did happen there and I think I'd probably when I used to go and I kind of imagine some of the people that had uh, pushed their way through those gates and 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 just kind of some of the excitement and 
Elton John and people that would have hanging out there. And then his friend, um, the English comedian Kenny Everett. And if you're from outside of the UK and you've never heard of him, go and have a look at him on YouTube. Kenny Everett, uh, worth looking at. Very funny um, man. And as a as a young boy, I used to find hilarious. Um, he was very cheeky, very cheeky comedy. Anyway, um, he was also regular at Freddie's house and also a regular at the Colhern. Um, they spent lots of time there together. And there are stories about them taking Diana to a place called the Vauxhall Tavern, Princess Diana, when I say Diana, who, because Diana lived just round the corner, literally just round the corner, about two minute walk away from uh, the Colhern. And uh, when she was nannying, she lived there. And so she knew lots of people on the scene, but apparently was later in life, was friends with Kenny. And so I think I've been told that they took her to the Vauxhall Tavern and I think they took her into the Colhern as well. And I think in both venues, she was dressed up as to look like a, a as was known, a clone. Um, so they, they, they dragged her in man drag. Anyway, um, Rupert Everett used to go to the Colhern. He was there a lot, and I recently saw an interview with him talking really fondly about his evenings spent there. Derek Jarman used to go there. And it was, even kind of when I first started going there, it was still kind of a proper leather bar. Um, and there aren't really that many... That There are evenings and, and stuff, um, but there isn't... There used to be, Earl's Court had that vibe to it. And I wasn't particularly into, I didn't really, I had a leather jacket, but I wasn't really, that wasn't necessarily my thing, but uh, I I found it appealing and uh, interesting. And as I say, I, I, I did, I did go there quite a lot. Um, I, I used to take my friend Ben into there um, because I always thought it was a really vibrant and fun place. And it was really, it was, it was cruisy. But it was also really friendly. They kind of had both things going on. It had both things going for it. Um, and there was a, there was a, it had some atmosphere. Um, and yeah, and it was a little bit more exciting than some of the other bars, perhaps. Um, anyway, I take my friend Ben in. He'd always be gobsmacked. Eventually, he'd have a couple of pints, and he'd end up chatting to people. Um, but it was always the fun of taking him in and just kind of his initial shock of of just the way some people were dressed i thought it was all great he was slightly shocked but anyway um so yeah so that was my my feelings on on the colhern and um i'd say there are films of bits and pieces on youtube of it and it's yeah it still holds a, a very fond place in my heart holly johnson from frankie hollywood frankie goes to hollywood used to go there as well say at the end of its life it became more shiny and corporate and that's a shame but um if you are ever visiting London, it's now called the Pembroke, but you can go in and you can imagine. Another notable thing about Earl's Court at the time I was there, and it had been since, I believe, since the 60s, that Earl's Court was also, as well as being very gay, it was also, it was known as Kangaroo Valley. The reason it was named, known as Kangaroo Valley is fairly obvious, I'm sure, but a lot, and I mean a lot, of Aussie and New Zealand travellers, backpackers, used to congregate there. I'm not quite sure why that why that area was chosen. I'm sure there was a reason. Not that far from Heathrow. Easier to get from Heathrow Airport. I don't know. Anyway, um, it was, it was, it was. There, there was, there was a, there, there was a, um, a backpackers pub down there, and there was a couple of music venues where it was mainly Aussie people, and. But the, the the two worlds, and I mean, and I was quite happy to see have lots of see lots of outdoorsy, healthy Aussie men walking the streets. Um, but uh, the, the the really pleasant thing, the the pleasant thing, the the nicest thing about it was that the the Aussies and the Kiwis were very happy living alongside uh, the gay community at that time and. The two well, the two worlds sat really well together, um, and I went to parties where it was a mix of both worlds, and sometimes the worlds would cross over. But I have to say, it was 
yeah, it was just a really very positive time. Now, I, I do remember going to a party and um, not that he was an Aussie or, or, or was gay, but I was at a party and I remember there were Aussies there. There were actors there. There was a lot of gay men there. And Jason Connery was there. Sean Connery's son, Jason Connery, who I had such a crush on. And I, long story short, I walked in on him having a leak. And we chatted and he continued to do his leaking. And I really didn't know what to do with myself. Um, (laughs) That sticks in my mind as an Earl's Court party. Um, Happy days. Um, There was also, oh yes, so yeah, this is another thing. American Werewolf in London, which is a great cult classic. And if you've never seen it, do. Um, That was all filmed. Not all of it. A lot of it was, well, it was set. The London setting was Earl's Court and was a place called Redcliffe Square, which is not far from where Diana lived. And also not far from, which this leads me to, nice segue, into a place, like my first proper gay bar in Earl's Court that I went to was a place at, it was a gay hotel, in a gay hotel called the Redcliffe Hotel. And I think the bar, and I cannot find evidence I haven't been able to get hold of my friend who I used to go to. I think the bar itself was just called Hollywoods. There's lots of bars that I've been to around the world called Hollywoods. But I'm pretty sure. And if you're listening and you know, do do uh, do drop a comment, please, because I've said I can't find evidence of the name of the of the bar. But anyway, it was within the Redcliffe Hotel, which is a gay hotel. Um, and it was kind of the first place I used used to go to that was a gay bar. I used to go on a regular basis. Um, it was really close to, as well, it was really close to the Lost Theatre, in which was in Fulham, which was only a, a short walk away from Earl's Court as well. So uh, after Another Country, which was my first venture with them, talking about that many podcasts ago, the play Another Country, um, I'd go there and I'd drag my friend Anthony along with me often. And I'd, I'd quite often try and drag a group of people. And I had so many wonderful evenings there um and i believe there used to be a cheap champagne cocktail that i used to down a lot of anyway i am digressing um but it was my first kind of dedicated drag bar um and it was a a bar where drag queens and i suppose you'd say clony leather men would intermingle with actors and i i absolutely loved it can only, only only positive things to say about it then um quite often from there we'd go on to uh, a place that was actually it was a club it wasn't really a bar had a bar in it obviously but it was a club called Bromptons now Bromptons uh ha- used to have quite a lot of uh guest stars disco stars gay disco stars from all around the world performing there um my distinct memory is going in the first time and it just the smell of of uh, cologne aftershave and poppers just super strong um and but i i remember just going in and i was with another friend at that point and going in and kind of we didn't even go to the bar we just went straight in and started dancing and there were it was the beginning well not the beginning but divine was playing and a lot of i suppose now would have been stock cake in waterman i didn't realize it was at the time but that kind of music um that had was already permeating into um the mainstream charts but yeah it was that sort of music and just having a brilliant time and feeling like it was a little bit like a frankie goes to hollywood video talking of Holly Johnson earlier, it had that vibe to it. And so again, it was exciting. Um, and I discovered that the best way to fit in, or the way I was, and I did want to fit in at this point, was to to wear combat clothes. A lot of people were in combat clothes, tight combat clothes, and I could get away at this point with very tight combat clothes. So I went and got some, some camouflage, camouflage clothing, um, and I shaved my head. And... Uh, and yes, and I did grow a goatee for a while. 
and that was a look and it stuck with me for a few years and but it was it was fun um so I, again Brompton's is now gone and I think it was uh I think it's now a supermarket like a Tesco metro and flats so another one bites the dust and talking of Brompton's there was also of course Brompton cemetery which I remember the first time I going in and I went in with a friend who who wanted to go there to to well quite frankly was going there to cruise men and it was infamous for that but actually as a place just in the daytime it was absolutely beautiful I mean I'm not I, I love cemeteries and it's not being morbid I just think I, I find reading tombstones and and the designs of uh, of uh, that the, the are within a cemetery are just stunning and I yeah and the atmosphere of so anyway um I, I it, that, that was a place where people used to go a lot of people used to go there after dark but say I would walk through there in the day um interestingly like people like um um Pankhurst Emmeline Pankhurst one of the first women suffragettes I remember uh, seeing her tombstone that was regularly attended to and there were always flowers and things and people really looked after that I remember seeing that um it's been in lots of films over the years it's been used as a film set because it's so atmospheric and a very beautiful place and again if you are in the UK and you are in that part of West London um, it's genuinely worth going and having a look but it's also part of gay history of that part of London that you can't really ignore um, and uh, oh yes it was in I did see it in uh, Sherlock Holmes in the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes it was in that so uh, yeah it's it's very atmospheric as it is used for Hollywood films but um, do check that out if you're passing through there is still one remnant of Earl's Court and its gayness is Clone Zone the store which is uh, to our uh, gay male listeners is uh, and to anyone who's travelled through there's still one in, there's one in Soho I think there's still one in Soho Yes, there is. There is one on Compton Street, of course. Um, but the, there is one still uh, in Earl's Court, opposite where the Colhern used to be. Um, so that that remains. There was other 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 mentionables. Was the uh, there was a hotel called the Phil Beach Hotel in Phil Beach Gardens in Earl's Court, and it was the go-to go hotel. It had a reputation for being a little bit saucy, but um, was extremely popular, and people from within London used to use it as well so you didn't even have to be a tourist it was very popular um, there was also um, a restaurant down there called Oscars that had a burst of popular popularity there was a gay cafe Balance moved in uh, I don't think I think maybe Balance is still there um, when Balance was still pretty much exclusively gay at that point um, and then there were a few things there was one place that still in my timeline when I was there it the first time I went to Earl's Court it was called Copas and I had been there before I lived there and then when I lived there it was called Earl's and I just used to that was kind of a really social place for me and I had a lot of a lot of my friends would go there with me gay straight or otherwise because it was just uh, I remember we were able to kind of um convince the DJs to play anything we wanted um, and we drink Alco Pops that was when Alco Pops were popular That's and by this point I started dressing in, I was into the I was kind of between the clone look and acid jazz and I used to wear DJ bags all the time even though I didn't have records in them anyway, um, Els was uh, was kind of the last bastion of new things kind of coming into Els Court and it was better known in the past, uh, Copa's Copacabana, and then I remember people talking about it being <laughs> being Harpoon Louise and Banana Max, and some of my older friends still referred to it, still referred to it at that point as um, as Harpo's and Banana Max. Um, also, which was way before my time, there was a bar called the Boltons, and um, it was that became very infamous, and it closed. Um, say this is way before my time it closed in the mid 70s I believe and it was closed because it became infamous for uh, rent boys uh, frequenting it and uh, and the legalities of that made it move out so 
There was also the Catacomb Club. And there was apparently a club called Masquerades that I only just discovered because I just did a quick Google to see if I was missing anything out. But anyway, honourable mention to all those places. And I do wish Earl's Court still had that element. And it was a, it was a very different feel to Vauxhall and Shoreditch and, and Dalston and Soho. And it does feel at the moment that Soho is possibly going slightly the same way as Earl's Court did. Obviously, it's never going to be quite as gentrified. But, um, yeah, we are losing more and more gay spaces. And that's sad. But anyway, that probably should bring me on to Soho. Yes, and as I go into talk about Soho, I should actually also not forget to mention... Um, the Molly Houses. Now, there was a play in the 90s called Mother Claps Molly House that was actually um, a place. It was a genuine um, a Molly house. I should really explain what Molly Houses were. Um, they were quite often, they were places that were considered brothels for gay men um, in the 18th and early 19th centuries. Um, and they were usually in pubs or taverns um or or rentable rooms um and there is kind of there is talk about whether they were actually just for sex and whether they were in fact the equivalent of a, of what gay bars became are now um that people would just meet there for to be to be around other people of the similar ilk and to meet their friends um, there clearly was prostitution happening and, you know, there was lots of evidence of that. But it was a dangerous time. And, you know, we're talking about a period when um, it was uh, <laughs> you you would be it was a capital offence, meaning you would be killed. Um, you would be sentenced to death. Um and the people that used those molly houses were it was it was i mean an extremely scary time and that, that you would have had to have uh, you, the people could blackmail you if they were aware of you being there or people within your own community if they decided they wanted to make money or you rubbed them up the wrong way so to speak that that would be a, a possible outcome of your visit um it's uh, the, the the name is comes from um, it's kind of a, a shortened form of uh, the the name Mary, woman's name Mary, um, and it was used. It was uh, shortened to Moll Molly, um, and it was also a term used for um, effeminate or gay men. Um, I think it's also connected to. Uh, I've been doing a lot of research into the word mollycoddle which I'm thinking about using in the current piece that I'm writing and uh, so that all ties in with that um, all will be revealed when I talk about that show later down the line but yes but but molly houses were a big part of, of, of London gay history and I think I might have to kind of go into that a little bit further and perhaps um, spend a bit more time maybe a, a podcast dedicated to that history but it's um there were a lot of places and um, Covent Garden was an area that was who was funnily enough now Covent Garden. And if you've never been to London, uh, Covent Garden now is uh, is extremely popular for its um, shopping and it's it's good for tourism and lots of uh, the Royal Opera House is there. And um, but the arcades that the shopping arcades that were there that still remain um they they were infamous for being places that had molly houses within it. Um, Lincoln's Inn Field, uh, which is in uh, north, uh, central north London, um, not far from King's Cross. Um, beautiful houses, but that apparently was an area. And also St. James's Park. Um, St. James's Park, which is a beautiful park um, and a, a royal park. Um, was used by uh, soldiers uh, from there's uh, barracks not f not far away, and they would go and uh, and meet well each other, but then also go and um, find places, find men who would take them to these molly houses. Um, so yes, just part of 
the subculture of being gay that is again something that I say I will need to talk about a lot further but I couldn't just jump into Soho without mentioning that that was part of part of the central London gay scene um, and it goes back to this is the thing I, I am going to have to go further back because I've kind of in my uh, thoughts a lot of it today today has been about things that I've experienced and places I've been to and parts of the world that I and that's kind of what I'm concentrating on now but I kind of do want to investigate a bit further going right back to Roman times because there is uh, evidence of um, of LGBTQ um, presence right back then of course um, but I want to go back and discover that a bit further but I think that's for another podcast and just as I'm getting to Soho, uh, my landlord, who lives two doors down the road from us, has decided to mow his lawn. But I'm determined to get this podcast finished and get it out to you. So anyway, um, Soho and Central London, let's go through, let's talk a bit about that and my connections with that. Well, basically, it's kind of, Soho has been properly gay for about 25 to 28 years, maybe a bit more than that. Um I think it's probably about 28 years now I'm trying to think back to but um anyway i mean it's been there's been <laughs> there's been gay life there for hundreds and hundreds of years um central london has been um <laughs> i mean yeah for, for hundreds of years i mean especially when trains uh started when trains into london from outside uh enabled uh people and gentlemen to head into town out of towners to come in, into London and discover themselves. And of course, train stations themselves became hubs of gay activity, toilets. And I wrote about that in my play Lightning Strikes, which I've talked about a lot before. And at some point, hopefully we will get some more of the actors in to talk about that. Anyway, that's another podcast. But yes, there was also, uh, we should talk at some point about Piccadilly and, and uh, the Rent Boys of Piccadilly and that world. Um, I did talk to you earlier this year about the caravan caravan bar in Endell Street that was kind of for jazz and was considered bohemian, but really was was a one of the first gay bars, um, and uh, its origins were celebrated during the the Pride celebrations. Um, I remember reading and and hearing about there's a pub that still exists on St Martin's Lane in amongst all the theatres, funnily enough, um, called the Salisbury. It's still there. Um, but apparently in the 60s, it was um, a, a major meeting place for gay men. Um, now it's uh, full of tourists and shoppers and theatre goers. But um, again, if you're passing by and it's not too busy, pop in and just uh, take note of that being one of the first of its kind. But going into Soho, I mean, from what I can gather, because I've had to do a little bit of research, because it's kind of Soho uh, gets its name from a hunting call. Again, that's a whole podcast in itself, but that's what they would shout as they were going uh, fox hunting. Um, but in the 20s and 30s, which is long after the men were hunting in that area, because there was nothing to hunt other than men at this point. 20s and 30s, there were a few gay-friendly gay cafes in the area. Um, and there was one called The Black Cat, and uh, that was one of the original cafes on Old Compton Street, which, you know, as I say, Old Compton Street now... And it, it, has, it became the centre of Soho gay life and still is really the centre of Soho gay life and probably remain so for, for a while. Um, but the Black Cat was a place that was frequented by the one and only Mr Quentin Crisp and he used to sit in there and uh, watch the gentleman passing by and sit with friends and um, and have a... I'm going to use the word a gay old time, use that phrase. But uh, there was also a pub that still, again, which is just off Compton Street, just around the corner, but still Soho, called the Golden Lion. It's now a mixed straight pub, but it was one of the first in Soho. That, that was when it was gay. Um, and it was actually kind of really, it was the late 80s where Soho really came into its own as a, as a gay uh, destination. Because what happened was that the... Um, the Westminster Council, which was uh, conservative, Tory, uh, very much conservative in all of in, in all senses of the word, but it was a Tory Westminster Council at that time, and they started to close down the straight P 
peep shows and the straight strip bars and the straight sex shops and the porn cinemas. And just as that was happening, the pretty much the pink pound was 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 birthing, shall we say. Um, and so gay businesses were popping up left, right and centre, which is also the, the point when uh, gay Earl's Court started to deplete partly I mean some people would say and I've talked to people over the years about this and some would say that Earl's Court's demise was slightly because of Soho's growth but I think there's a bit more to it than that as well um but yes but by 1990 gay Soho had really kind of really started to grow and um the uh the pubs Compton's um which started out as a, apparently, uh, was a straight pickup joint called um, Swiss Tavern, uh, became Compton's, I think it's now Compton's of Soho, I think is its official title. Um, and that was one of the first places that I went to. It was much smaller and it didn't have an upstairs and it was it was very spit and sawdust. It's still not like, it's not um, shiny, shiny. It's a lot more shiny, shiny than it used to be when I first used to go in there. And it would be packed. You physically couldn't move. And getting to the bar was just a mission for many, many different reasons. Um, but it was extremely popular. And my friend, Patrick Dean Waters, if anybody out there who listens to this knows of a gentleman called Patrick Dean Waters who lives in London or somewhere in the south of England, I should imagine, um, do tell him that I've mentioned him and that I'd love him to get in touch. Anyway, Patrick Dean Waters was the gentleman who introduced me to Soho. Um, he he pretty much knew all of gay London, but he was an early um, embracer of Soho, and he introduced me to he also introduced me to um, to Heaven properly. Um, and I believe he was the first person who took me to the Super Club Trade, which is where. Uh, it ended up being so popular that uh, uh, Madonna ended up frequenting there because it became so popular. And the more popular it got, the busier it got. And then obviously it went slightly downhill. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, but anyway, that's not Soho. Bit of gay London. But then uh, the first, I remember one of the first bars he took me to was The Village, which still exists. And I just remember thinking it was super sexy and super glamorous. There were go-go boys and... It was all about cocktails, I believe, at that time. Um, there was a bar called The Edge in Soho, uh, which had three floors. And I used to think this was very high-end in my mind. It was very shishi and high-end. Um, two of my very close friends met there, and they are married, and it's 20-something years down the line. So um, <laughs> it's a very special place in their heart. Um, then there was Freedom. Freedom still exists. Freedom now is not... I don't know what it classes itself as. Um, I used to really like it because the music there was, particularly when it first opened, was a little bit more, um, I suppose, in the vein of the stuff that I was liking at the end of the Earl's Court period, um, the, the acid jazz thing that came into my life. There was, a, there was a night, anyway, that had that kind of music. And I remember used to go with uh, a group of... Uh, girls. Girls were welcome as well, even then. Um, straight girls and gay girls um, and uh, I quite liked that about it um, and I'd be able to go there with female friends as well as male friends and it was part owned in the early days by Mark Almond of Soft Cell um, I don't think he has any money in it now I'm pretty sure he left that business behind um, but it still exists and again if you're a tourist and you're visiting London it's worth popping in just to to uh Take in a bit of Soho history. Um, Madame Jojo's. Now, I went there. Before I even went to Earl's Court, I went to Madame Jojo's, which was a drag cabaret bar um, below the Raymond Review bar, which had been a strip, a straight strip, strip bar venue. It was considered a bit more classy than the others, and it remained open for many years. Um and kind of ran hand in hand with Madame Jojo's, which was, I say, mainly a, a drag cabaret bar. Um, my friend 
and producer Pete Shaw talked about working there for a while himself. Um, and that was when I worked at the Prince of Wales Theatre in the West End for a while. And I must say worked, I was working in front of houses. This is back a long time ago. I was still a student. Um, but we'd go into Madame Jojo's afterwards. And uh, that, again, I was talking about sort of early drag. That was, in fact, I was talking about the one in Earl's Court. In fact, this, Madame Jojo's, was before then. Um, was very exciting. Um, then we have to mention the Admiral Duncan and a pub that I still, uh, if I'm out in Soho, which isn't that often anymore, sadly, um, is a pub that I still go into. The Admiral Duncan It's still, last time I'm in there, anyway, it was still very friendly. Um, there was, in 1999, uh, there was a, well, there was a terrorist attack, a, a murdering terrorist who killed two people, one who was a pregnant woman and in, injured many and he was he was picking on um, communities. He picked he was he attacked the gay community. He was attacking um, the uh, Muslim community. He was attacking. Uh, he he just went for he went for minorities around London and was trying to make some kind of point. But all he did with his attack on the Admiral Duncan was bringing the gay community together. Um, I was working uh, just around the corner uh, at that time and I remember coming down and, and everybody was trying to do something to, to help out. It was just shocking um, and the devastation. Um, but it still stands. And if you go in there now, there is a memorial to the attack um, and if you're ever visiting, again, that's one to definitely go in and pay your respects to. Um, it's uh, and it's good to see that it still stands and it's still popular. And then really mid-90s for me, Soho um, is kind of still, it changed a bit more. More bars opened up. Barcode, which Barcode was, an, uh, was a similar feel to Wells Court. It was a bit more clony, um, shaved head, that world. And people were still wearing combats in there. Um, Rupert Street, which I remember being uh, a, a trolley dolly haven. Trolley dolly uh, being air steward, and that's where air stewards used to meet. That's what I remember it being. Um, I'm sure it's, well, maybe it still is. Um, I haven't been in there for a good few years myself, not because I have anything against it. I used to think it was quite fun, but um, but yeah, it's uh, it was just one that I didn't go to as much. Um, the Yard Bar, which has just survived a near closure. Um, it's been saved because that was going to be turned into flats. So the gentrification has been halted there. Thank goodness. So that remains. I was there not that long ago um, to celebrate somebody's birthday. Um, 2002, the GAY bar opened. GAY had been at the um, LA2, as it was known, um, the Astoria Theatre, which has now been pulled down for Crossrail. Um, Crossrail is, is going to it better be useful. It better be bloody useful to London because so much has been torn down and destroyed because of it. Let's hope it does become useful and bring business. And anyway, that's another conversation. Um, the Shadow Lounge uh, and the Friendly Society opened in the early 2000s. Um, and then later we had the Duke of Wellington in Wardour Street, which is still a pub I like to go to. And then out of Soho, the uh, there's a bar called the New Bloomsbury Set, which I can also recommend. I think I feel like I'm doing a tourist guide, but New Bloomsbury Set. It's a quieter bar, um, again, and it's a bit more cocktaily. Maybe these the word cocktail keeps coming out here. But I, what I need to do really is I know I need to talk about Vauxhall, and I've brought up the subject of money houses, and that is something that really interests me, and also the rise of the East London alternative gay scene. There's a lot to talk about, and I'm probably going to get people in to talk about them as well. But for now, I'm going to finish up for now because I just want to say there's one thing I'm doing. Um, it's, a, it's a memory walk and it's a memory walk in October and it's for, uh, it's in honour of my mum and I'm doing it with my sister and my friend Andrew 
and we have a team called Skylarkers, named after the show that Andrew and I were involved in. Um, and I'm going to put all the details uh, about how to, if you would like to sponsor me and to give you all the details of um, what the Alzheimer Society is trying to do with the money that's raised from the memory walk and to give you a bit more information on that rather than talk for hours about it here now but if you have listened before you know that it's uh, it's something that's really impacted my life and my family's life um, and that if we can do anything to uh, at least find ways to to perhaps slow the progress of dementia down if not halt it altogether at some point down the line then I'm all about that. So please, 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 if you can, spare the time to have a look. I'll put the links. Um, next podcast, I'll probably give you uh, details just over the podcast of how to do it. But I'll put links for now. So please have a look. And thank you so much for joining me again. I really, really do appreciate you coming in and listening. And uh, I have another fun guest ahead for next week. All will be revealed. Thanks for joining, gang. Cheers. Bye-bye.